Hi, I'm Trini. And I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that widens access to African history. We're also the co-authors of the book by the same name. You can find out more information about us on itsacontinent.com. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and appreciate the identity of each nation. And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome back to another episode. Here we are, back yep. again. This week, honestly, I'm trying to get into the positive, just giving myself positive energy. I am blocking wow, all the haters, that's what I'm doing. Really blocking, just blocking a lot of negative energy at the moment. What I will say is, at least today was the first day that I left the office and the sun was still out, so... That is you know, such a British thing to say. We've made it to the other side. Look, some of us have SAD. Some of us have Lumis. Some of us <laughs> struggle. Despite living in this country all my life, I still struggle every winter. So <laughs> I'm just grateful to have made it out the other side. I have been wanting to get myself one of those lamps. But this is not well. an ad, but yeah. No, it's no, not I, an ad. I hi- but... highly recommend, actually. Yeah. It's a gentle wake-up, although the issue is... Because I've got birdsong waking me up. If I hear birdsong and it's not my alarm, I low-key get, you know, a little bit. My heart rate goes up, the cortisol comes in. I'm, like, a bit stressed when I hear birds singing now. But Well, um, when you actually hear legit bird songs, that isn't That isn't the your... alarm. If I'm in bed and I, hear, and I hear birds singing and it's not the alarm, I'm like, oh, it's time to wake up. Then I'm like, oh, no, that's just birds singing. <laughs> wow. I think that's ruined you a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, just bear that in mind when selecting your your preset. Look at us coming up with brand <laughs> suggestions for... Okay, okay. It's that stage in life. It really is. Honestly, I'm so noticing the changes in myself. Yeah. Of things. It was when I messaged you and because I'd laughed at a joke that Sadiq Khan had made on Mayor of London, um, for those outside the UK, made on like a radio station and I was like wow I've really reached a new yeah a new you're stage to drift towards centrist dad <laughs> I've just become yeah that's the changes are real they're really <laughs> real but we're embracing it I'm embracing every step every stages of life let's do this let's do this this week's African Pride goes to Gloria Awoba Kenyan politician nominated senate leader who's caused quite the stir by protesting against period poverty by sitting through a Senate meeting in clothing stained with fake menstrual blood. I must confess, when I saw the picture of her, have a Google, I actually thought it was real blood. Mm -hmm. That's how convincing it was. She was asked to leave halfway through the session after her fellow parliamentarians requested the Speaker eject her for supposedly violating the House's dress code. Awoba is campaigning for free sanitary towel provision and is planning to introduce a bill in the coming months. Originally, she didn't expect this story to reach beyond the Senate, but Awoba's actions have highlighted the issue of period stigma and access to menstrual products. Women, rights and menstrual health organisations have all backed Awoba's actions, particularly her advocacy for girls from disadvantaged backgrounds. So Kenya in particular has seen extreme incidents of period shaming. And in 2019, a 14-year-old girl took her life after a teacher reportedly shamed her when she stained her uniform during her first period. 
She's just really, really sad, to be honest. Awoba stands by her stunts, saying that to bring change, it is important to dare to be shameless. But being on the front line of the backlash, she said, showed that there is a lot more to be done to eradicate stigma. So shout out Senator Gloria Awoba. Yeah, good on her for actually, like, doing this and making such a statement of it and nothing to be ashamed of it's just part of just part of life the, for those yeah things. it's yeah. just part of our life and so it's good that she was able to bring this light and hopefully through this like stunt it helps just bring the conversation back in because really how are you shaming a 14 year old kid like yeah so, no good honor it's quite shocking to be honest but yeah no really good and i really hope that this bill passes through definitely Okay, so this week uh, we're doing another theme because we love a theme and chocolate is something we all know and love to consume. However, it's no secret that the commodity has its roots in something a lot more sinister. I mean, it's capitalism, so what do you expect? Let's be real. Human rights campaigners continue to call on global chocolate companies to recognise the role the coca trade has played in enabling poverty and child labour. To begin the story, we need to look back to enslavement and the transatlantic slave trade. This is where we begin to see a shift to commodities for profit, particularly as the invasion and colonisation of lands gave rise to tea, sugar and cotton plantations. This brutal method was responsible for the working class and average citizens in so-called industrialising nations, then being able to afford such processed goods. Ghana's president, Nana Akufo Adur, has said his country is locked in a colonial-style relationship with the world's chocolate manufacturers. So one thing to stress is that coca is actually not indigenous to West Africa, which I did not know until this episode, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. Um, it's not a native plant and was brought to the continent by Europeans. Okay. Do you want to guess which, uh, which colonizer heavyweight? It might be. The clue is that they were the first ones, probably. Oh, yeah. Portugal. It would be Portugal, wouldn't it? So the Portuguese brought the coca tree from what was known as the New World, i.e. another place that's been colonised, planting coca in Sao Tome as far back as 1822. By 1870, they started cultivating the plant, and coca being brought to Western Africa wasn't an accident, rather... It was because they wanted to grow the plant where labour was cheap or free. And this goes to show, let's be real, again, the original sin is capitalism. This goes to show how a colonial mentality remains in the chocolate industry today. And this, of course, gave way to brutal working conditions for indentured labourers brought over to Sao Tome, where coca plantations remain. Oddly, as places to visit... Uh, there was a really weird vibe in a website that I went on and it stated that there are wonderful photographic opportunities in the Rocas, which is basically the, the name that the Portuguese called plantations. I mean, it's given wedding in a plantation, so... Yeah, Airbnbs and... Chocolate companies minimise the damage being done in local communities, assuring consumers and lawmakers that they can tackle this issue without government intervention or regulation. Or so they say. Yeah, and you do see that a lot in terms of like ads. I can't even remember which brand it was, but you do see a lot of ads within the industry kind of being like, you know, it was 
oh yeah we take care of them take care of, yeah we look <laughs> after the whole end-to-end supply chain is taken yeah. care of and everybody gets paid fairly you do see a lot of that yeah. in their ads and also you get that little like sticker oh the fair trade sticker yeah yeah they told us all about that in school yeah yeah mm-hmm. gosh I did not get taught that in school <laughs> We we went to two very. I didn't yeah. go to multicultural schools. So. Most of Western Africa's cocoa is grown in Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire, with most child labour cases documented in the two nations. Within these areas, reports on slave labour on cocoa farms began surfacing in the media in the late nineties to early two thousand, with reports of Malian boys under the age of twelve indentured to work on cocoa and coffee plantations working 12 hour days 12 hour like so, for that yeah just for anyone regardless yeah. of age yeah yeah a similar story emerged from Burkina Faso Mali and Togo with evidence of children being purchased from their parents and sold to work for cocoa farmers in Cote d'Ivoire these children were as young as six working 80 to 100 hours a week without pay. Consequently, they suffered from malnutrition, beatings, and other forms of abuse. These incidences of trafficking are uncommon, with undercover journalists documented children being sold for $34 each to work on a farm. Is that the worth as well? Like, not that it's easy, like, not that you would ever quantify someone's worth as a human being, but... $34. It kind of also shows the desperation as well at this point, not to excuse it, but it's just quite shocking, really. One person who survived this awful ordeal said, some of the bags were taller than me. It took two people to put the bag on my head. And when you didn't hurry, you were beaten. And this is now, you know, not that long ago that these kids are. This is the 90s. Yeah, you have these kids... Just taking on such huge... No adult really should be working working like this. Like this. Let alone a six-year-old. How does the cocoa industry work? And how do we go from cocoa beans to chocolate? Well, the process is labour-intensive and involves cracking open cocoa pods with a sharp knife or machete. The white pulp extracted from the pods are then fermented under leaves left to dry for a week before being sold. Farmers typically sell their harvest to local go-betweens who work under contract for local exporters, selling cocoa to international traders and the major cocoa multinationals. This involves long hours in the sun, with machetes being used by those cracking open the pod or weeding. There's also pesticide exposure without protective clothing. Many children have scars on their bodies from working with machetes. This is so dangerous as well. Not only are they working long hours where they're potentially going to be tired and exhausted, they're also handling weapons. Yeah. And I just don't understand how this, to be honest, with a lot of the things we discuss, this is happening and still continues to happen when... And it's kind of the this idea of like the adultification of these children. Yeah. You know, why aren't they? I don't know. It's just giving me that essence of like, well, it's a six-year-old African child. Like there's not yeah, that. Yeah, no, it does happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adultification is particularly of black children. Mm-hmm. 
it can have different effects. Like, for example, in this country, we do see it, for example, from your justice system and the way that the police do handle black children. Yeah. And here we see in the way that these multinationals are allowing children to work these sort of hours with dangerous equipment in order to produce goods for them. Mm -hmm. And if that were to happen here, or even if there was wind of that happening here, Mm. they would shut that stuff down. Like that would not even... It would be such a massive uproar. But I think sometimes that that whole thing of like the distance or just Mm. that disconnect and also the ads we're seeing is like, oh, everybody gets paid and it's all just, you know. Oh, just smiling and happy. Yeah. Doesn't clearly show the realities. The chocolate industry has become increasingly secretive, making it harder for reporters to access farms and those working on the farms becoming afraid to speak out. In 2004, the Ivorian First Lady's entourage allegedly kidnapped and killed a journalist reporting on government corruption in its profitable cocoa industry. Six years later, Ivorian government authorities detained three newspaper journalists after they authored an article exposing the government's role in corruption within the cocoa sector. Yeah, there you go. So even the threat is right there in the country itself. It's not, yeah. you know, yeah. purely from an external perspective, mm-hmm. but it's really being reinforced by the government also, you know, yeah. to try and protect kind of, their vested you know, interests. Their definitely. Interests as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in response, the Ivorian government blames the global chocolate industry for keeping prices too low to ensure an adequate standard of living for Ivorian coca farmers. This does have a bit of truth in it as cocoa farmers are unable to send their children to school and are forced to include their children in farm labour as they aren't paid enough for the cocoa they sell. When you realise that the chocolate industry makes more than $100 billion in sales each year, I think it's quite clear that they can afford to pay the farmers. Mm -hmm. However, the government does have a refusal to do anything about it because they have a hand in benefiting from this labour. In 2005, Nestle USA versus Doe and Cargill versus Doe saw a class action lawsuit filed for aiding and abetting child enslavement in Cote d'Ivoire by purchasing from coca producers that utilised enslaved children from Mali. The plaintiffs were former enslaved labourers in these coca farms. They described how guards punished child workers who tried leaving with atrocious punishments being forced to drink urine or having their feet cut open. And guards also beat child workers they thought weren't working quickly enough with tree branches. Paul F. Hoffman represented the workers and described them as seeking compensation from two US corporations which maintain a system of child slavery and forced enslavement in their Ivory Coast supply chain as a matter of corporate policy to gain a competitive advantage in the US market. Wow, we're really doing this for a competitive advantage. Imagine, like, just... We are injuring children and basically torturing them at this rate from the sounds of it. Nestle and Cargill encouraged the use of child slave labour on Cote d'Ivoire plantations by supporting farmers through capital investments in equipment, training and cash advances. They were also deliberately opaque about the process, lobbying against legislation intended to make use of child slavery transparent to the public, misleading consumers on their actions in the region. And this is all for cheaper cocoa imports and an increase in profit margin. The US Chamber of Commerce wanted the case tossed out of court and appallingly, 
the Supreme Court ruled in favour of the chocolate companies. Mm. Yeah. And that was 2005 case. The very fact that they were able, the plaintiffs were able to kind of bring Mm. forward the lawsuit and go through that, but to have this as an end result must be so heartbreaking for them, but also for anybody who is even thinking of going up against these Mm. big corporations. It just... It forces impossible. you into silence, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Because if your government is already, you know, involved in this and kind of benefiting from the process, you even going up to the courts isn't going to I mean, get yeah. much traction. You're very, very much people. Yep. stuck, yeah. Yeah, the people that are meant to be ruling for you are have vested interests, so you're kind of stuck. Yeah, who do you go to? All this ties in with what continues to happen today, with the behaviour of chocolate companies at odds with what they tell consumers. In Ghana, Coco Life is a sustainability and ethical initiative set up by Mondelez in 2012. You would therefore expect that farmers would be treated well, but this is far from reality. Farmers struggle to feed their families, with the equivalent of £500 paid to them for the entire year. The added premium that's paid to farmers because of Cocoa Life is the equivalent of one pound, which isn't enough. This results in children once again being brought in to do the job of a fit and strong adult. To be honest, even a fit and strong adult, yeah, like, struggle because probably can't even do, can't even like yeah. one pound for for the premium. You know, you know that they've spent money on the, making it all glossy, talking about Cocoa Life. Might have had a photo shoot. Imagine all the marketing money and stuff. (laughs) These times, what are you actually paying them? Honestly, it's so disrespectful. It's just such a slap in the face. We see similar dire conditions in Ghana, one incident being a child bitten by a poisonous rattlesnake. The family had to take out a loan to pay for medical treatment. Children aged 10 and 11 used long sticks with sharp hooks and no protective equipment. In a Channel 4 Dispatches documentary, the interviewer, Anthony Barnett, spoke to a 14-year-old girl who is unable to go to school as her family can't afford it. She didn't even know anything about chocolate and works five days a week during the harvest. Despite chocolate companies promising to clean up their act 20 years ago, this is yet to be realised. Farmers are unable to hire adults to take on dangerous work because they simply can't afford them. Yet Mondelez made more than four billion in profit, so the money is there. Mm-hmm. Chocolate manufacturers and processors founded the World Cocoa Foundation in 2000, with the aim of leading the industry towards a fairer and more sustainable sector. You always see these companies do this sort of thing. Love kind of div- wash. They just <laughs> lo- like as soon as I read, I was like, "This is not where it's going, and this is not where we think of." Who right? It's the same person that writes Jamie. this. <laughs> This is not where it's going. World Cocoa Foundation. Hmm. Right. (laughs) Let's just pretend and hide our work together. Pretty much. Yet deforestation continues to blight Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire at an alarming rate. Child labour has increased since its exposure two decades ago. As chocolate bars became more expensive for the consumer, cocoa farmers continued being paid the same. As raw material cocoa used to be 50% of the value of a chocolate bar, falling to just 16% in the 1980s. Now, farmers receive 
about 6% of the value of each chocolate bar sold. The entire supply chain remains opaque. And you know that whilst the farmers have received less of the value of each chocolate bar, you know that those at the top are getting richer and richer. And it's really just exacerbating the, the huge divide and inequality that we have when it comes to wealth. And especially thinking about it, um, apologies as this is going to be like a super UK example, but we always get on the news these things about like x chocolate bar has gone up in you know yeah oh what's that one the freddo but then you'll get the freddo yeah Yeah. i I don't know i think like a freddo is like 30p or something it used to be like 10p but like ew it's gone up by x percent but you're now also getting less chocolate in this do you know what i mean Mm, but you're mm, still mm. paying the farmers six percent yeah yeah, you're you're paying, paying them, them the less, same as what you paid them at the very beginning. At the very beginning. Yeah. But then you're making more, like it just, the ma- and I'm sure like consumers, like through transparency and actually making the supply chain fairer end to end, like they actually claim it claim. currently is. I think consumers would pay more. I would definitely pay more. If they knew, yeah, of course. If of course. I knew that it would make things a lot fairer and everybody would get paid Mm. what they've contributed which at the end of the day without the cocoa farmers the chocolate doesn't happen so how come the people at the end who just put in a couple of not that I've actually don't remember the last chocolate gosh don't even look at chocolate ads but you know it doesn't really it's just the maths in this is just but it's yeah it's it's really about undervaluing the farmers and it's just because if if it, not to say not to justify but if it was a, an industry where you know the market was decreasing things are tight oh i'm really sorry we can't afford it but clearly you can <laughs> and that's the issue mm-hmm. no definitely they can afford it and i think it's just it's a choice right yeah if you can also and there's that idea of if you can also get away with it and yeah from a consumer perspective you've done enough us consumers not to ask any questions because it's not really until you delve because I'm not gonna lie I've seen those you know when I've gone to the store I've seen those green stickers where it's like yeah fair trade and I'm like oh everyone's getting paid fairly let's grab this one but actually you don't know nobody you you know that your consumers do not have the time to then be like is this actually completely mm-hmm. what is going on it's not until you delve deeper and I think it's a similar case to when we were talking about clothing yes I was thinking that yeah Yeah. and just that idea of you do good gift to charity or shops but then actually where does that end up and I think sometimes it's asking those we never get to that level because you have the certain expectation that yeah you you, you give them the benefit of the doubt yeah Yeah. you do you really do but it's just really challenging I know I'm kind of contradicting myself also but it is also really challenging work as a consumer yes but then and just basically investigate everybody. Do you know what I mean? Like, trust no one. Like, trust, legit, trust no one. Bring like back if the I Illuminati have... era. <laughs> I know one trusted anyone. You really cannot be truckers. Else literally you'll have to... Okay, what's the supply chain of this item of clothing? What's the supply chain for my bedding? Like, it just moves. It, yeah. Yeah. And one tactic that some companies have done is greenwashing. Um, which we kind of see when it comes to the environment particularly. Um, But an interesting incident took place two years ago 
So Tony's boasted of making its coca production 100% slave-free, in their words. Well, sorry, they actually said 100% slave-free. Oh, now they've said, yeah, because now (laughs) together we'll make chocolate 100% slave-free. Will you join us? Let's make chocolate 100% slave-free. But of course, they're saying that now, but they had to sort of retract their statement after this story. So um, yeah, they boasted of saying, but the fact that you said slave-free just makes it, it's like, oh, so it's normal? They claimed that the industry was dominated by a handful of chocolate giants that profit from keeping the purchasing price as low as possible. And they got the fair trade, the B Corp badges, you know, know in love. Mm -hmm. However, it was later found that the same company relied on Barry Colbeau, a Belgian-Swiss chocolate processor that ended up with a lawsuit against it by eight children claiming they were used as enslaved labourers on coca plantations. Ponies ended up being dropped from a slave-free chocolates list of ethical chocolate companies. And I will share that in the episode show notes because I think it's worth checking out. So what is the solution to this exploitative mess? A direct trade model like what's happening in Madagascar and some other parts of South America sees disrupting supply chains that rely on exploitation to manufacturing and origin and direct trade, which could work, but would be difficult to see this happening uh, on a wider scale. The EU and West African nations are at odds on how to make the sector more sustainable, particularly when it comes to the environment. According to Politico in a November 2022 article, the EU are looking to finalise regulations ensuring that chocolate entering the bloc is free from deforestation and child labour. But of course, you can't do this without countries like Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire demanding higher prices. This is essential to making sustainable chocolate a reality. In 2019, Ghana and Côte d'Ivoire introduced a $400 per tonne living income differential, aiming to bring the floor price up to cover production costs. Whilst Lint, Hershey, Nestlé and all the other big players welcomed this initiative in public, they did everything they could to drive prices down despite the industry's $130 billion in annual profits. What's a yikes for me, dog? It's like, well, okay, just... I can't, I honestly... If I speak, I'm in big, big trouble. In the words of Antoine Pontin of The Voice Network, a watchdog group for a reformed cocoa sector, we've spent the past two decades talking about what the farmer needs to do differently. The farmer needs to stop using his children for labour. The farmer needs to treat women better. The farmer needs to grow other crops. The farmer isn't the problem. The problem is the system he is in. Let's spend the next two decades talking about what governments and multinationals need to do differently. I think that's the key as well. Governments and multinationals, I think they have to work together to resolve this. We can't have some governments, a bit like the example that we saw in Cote d'Ivoire, covering up the actions of the multinationals. And we can't have multinationals laying the blame on governments and governments laying the blame on multinationals. They need to actually work together to to make it a more sort of fairer environment for coca production. And also to a certain extent, the farmers are having to rely on children as a form of labour because Mm. it's not, it sounds terrible, but they're kind of like, you know, it's, it's put them in that sort of position. But I think if they were getting 
paid fairly for what they were doing, it makes the role kind of attractive enough to then potentially employ adults. I don't know if that's just, you know, an assumption on my part. I definitely don't think farmers wanting to employ children. Yeah, many of them that want to, like, their own children, they want to send them to school um, in the Mm -hmm. Dispatches documentary, but they can't afford to. So the child has to work on the farm. So I do think it's, yeah, they definitely do need to work together. This whole kind of, the quote by um, Antoine Fontaine brings us to a really nice point around, you know, actions, not words, was very much the theme for Black History Month last year. And the same really applies to the cocoa industry. You know, if we want to see a change in working conditions, there needs to be action taken. And also it's the right kind of action, because at the moment the action has been very much performative. Mm. it's all been a smokescreen of oh we'll do this we'll set up this foundation we'll do x y and z but actually the reality is still the same and we're still having the same discussions yeah and nothing has changed and actually the situation is continues to get worse for farmers Mm. Mm -hmm. fully agree it's been one of those episodes uh this week i think (laughs) but uh... yeah because honestly, it makes you then question like, oh gosh, if I, what am I contributing to buying X, Y, and Z? Do you see what I mean? Like, I it's... think it's, yeah, it is important to have these discussions though, because, you know, uh, as Kinder Andrews has said in his book around how the fact that life in the West is, is, is relatively comfortable is because of the labour of people kind of in the, in the global South. Um, yeah. And this is just an example of this. It is a very uncomfortable truth, but it's something that needs to be highlighted as it's as it's ongoing and unfortunately getting worse and you know companies are at least on the outside professing that they're doing things to improve the situation but the reality is the situation hasn't changed ever since um so just something that we thought was worth highlighting this week yeah so that is us done for another week we will see you in two weeks time which will be the final episode of season oh, yeah. six. Oh my yeah. goodness. Wow. We're almost, yeah. We're close to number seven. We're getting wow. close to we're getting close to a double digit. Oh my god. Okay. We're gonna turn it to Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I've I've never watched that. I've never Me neither, but all I know is that it's like loads of seasons. <laughs> oh right. Oh, okay, look. Okay, yeah, I know that. Isn't it on like 20 something? I don't I don't know how you guys... I I swear it's on like 23. I, I don't know anybody. How can someone commit to that many seasons? Uh, yeah, I, I've definitely missed the bus on that one, I think. Catch up. Why not? That's what people <laughs> always say to me about like Games of Thrones. And to oh, be Game fair, Harry Potter, Harry Potter I could catch up with, but I just feel like I miss the boat. Look, really miss the boat. I think with the with the author, um, I'm all right. Yeah, problematic. Were right, actually, <laughs> we're right, actually. Yeah, I'm all right. Yes. Yeah, another level of problematic. Yeah, let's not indulge her. But all right. yeah. So that thanks for us. listening. You can follow us on It's a Continent Pod on Instagram. It's a Continent on Twitter. Our website, It's a Continent.com. And also our book, It's a Continent, available in major retailers and local bookshops as well. That's us done. All right. Bye. Bye.